Gladden Bishop is claiming to have seen the sort of Laban himself envision. Okay, so here's what he says. Um, he says, the hilt or handle is pure gold and four square, and opposite each square is the most beautiful guard. So here's here's my only question. Sure. Um, the sword had the sword had atrophied. Okay, so the sword had atrophied. I shouldn't say atrophied, rusted, which right. means it was most likely made out of something that can oxidize easily. You know, had it been made out of I don't know uh, hmm. galvanized uh, metal, it probably would be just fine, right? Of course, a metallurgist is going to be screaming at the radio right now saying like, no, no, that only lasts 500 years underground. But um, I saw, and Brad, you were there when we saw the 600 BC Damascus steel sword with mm-hmm. a silver hilt, right? It was still in kind of wildly impeccable condition, right? Mm-hmm. So would that oxidization have been from the burial you think was there any indication in these primary sources uh that you were looking at telling you about the existence of the sword um gave you an idea if when placed in nephi's ark if when placed in the stone box of moroni was it still intact and maybe just that burial process is what Hmm. finally caused its demise or was it just kind of like um, the original garment that uh, came down from, you know, Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and all the patriarchs until it was finally so tattered by the time it came to uh, um, uh, later generations? It, w- it was it was barely in shambles. Do you think it had atrophied long before and all they had left was the hilt, but they kept on to it because, you know, that was the last surviving piece? Is there is there any provenance to the decline of the artifact itself? So I don't think that we have good enough information to know that. I have... Like, we know the Liahona, they stopped using it once they made it out of the Mosiah exodus, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Do we have any kind of scriptural touch point where we know, okay, they they didn't use the sword anymore? That's that's a good question. I mean, I don't recall when they mentioned last using it. I actually think that they stopped mentioning using it fairly early. Okay. Um, like, I'm not sure I remember use of it being mentioned after King Benjamin. Yeah, I've been trying to track it and see, like, who had it when at a couple of different points in the Book of Mormon. And, yeah, it, like, a lot of it from, like, what we see in art is just assuming, right? When you see, like, Captain okay. Moroni wielding the Sword of Laban, doesn't specifically mention him using that. Doesn't mention it. Yeah. And are there any physical descriptions other than the fact it had the guard on it? Um, there are, and I can try to, let me see, maybe I can find something about that while we're talking. Um, I don't know for sure if I would be Yeah, able let me to look up that. in the scriptures real fast. The sword because, I mean, there's some pretty cool, uh, we know what Semitic swords of that time look like. There was a recently very well publicized National Geographic discovery of those six swords. Uh, they're, they're Roman era swords. I believe they were, um, they predated Christ. They were 2,000 year old swords that were taken out of that cave in Jerusalem. Literally at, at the time of this broadcast, I think it was two months ago, three months ago. It was within the last fiscal quarter, I'm sure. But, um, you know, uh, swords can last a long time. And 
I, I mean, the function and technology of swords, I actually shouldn't say the technology, but like the basic premise of a sword hasn't changed for, you know, 3000 years. You make a, a blade as long and light and tough as you can to cut through as much as you can. Um, it's kind of like a hammer. You know, the, the basic concept of a hammer hasn't changed too much. Okay. But like, I mean, there, there is a, a drastic difference between ceremonial swords, military swords, practical swords, swords that double as other things, uh, such as paratrooper swords that also double as, uh, pincers to be able to cut cable lines or, uh, telecommunication lines. Uh, also, um, swords that are bayonets, you know, that are meant to be, um, put onto, uh, other weaponry and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, um, is was there any description other than it was very fine worksmanship you know which would insinuate to me that okay besides being 100 percent practical it was also um you know uh what's the opposite of practical not ceremonial but you know besides being functional there was some beauty and form to it was there any other uh kind of details there you coming up with anything brad well in moroni 814 (laughs) you have uh Moroni mentioned that he's sealing it up, right? Okay. Um, it seems, it doesn't seem to be like mentioned in any way that it's deteriorated at that point. Okay. And, and yeah, he could have at that point said like the remnants of the sword. Yeah, or exactly. The, the sword who had seen it's better mentioned days. mentioned where again? Uh, Moroni chapter 8 verse 14. I mean, it definitely, we know that the hilt was striking in its appearance because Nephi comments on that, the yeah. beauty of the hilt. Like he yeah. specifically looks at that. I mean, he's like, he stops in the middle of this whole episode where he finds Laban drunk to like admire the hilt of the sword. Man, this is gorgeous. Right? Well, like, like, it's like the last time I stole a man's car, it was a Lamborghini. <laughs> and when I was writing in my journal, I was like, oh, I do. It popped in there. But there's that moment right before you boost a car. <laughs> Where you just kind of sit there and you're like, wow, the leather in these seats is amazing. You know, now, so I have a feeling that's what Nephi was doing. So <laughs> here's the thing with Nephi. Uh, I find it really fascinating when he says that it was made of the most exceedingly fine steel. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that this uh, antiquities guy out in yeah. uh, out in Israel said was, well, that sounds like he's looking at Damascus steel, right? Because that's how he'd be able to tell by looking at it, that it's exceedingly fine steel, seeing the patterns in it, right? And so that was a really fascinating take from him. And he had just, like, sold the day before a Damascus steel sword from a similar time period. Yeah, it was was really interesting. It's like, yeah, well, the cue for Damascus steel is visual. He said other types of steel, you can't tell what kind of steel it is until you test it. Either you have a shard of it and you test it chemically or else you test it with some kind of scanning machine or obviously with magnets. Famously, you can tell if something's aluminum or if something's steel simply by putting a magnet on. But he says the tell for Damascus steel is completely visual. You just look at it and it looks very, very specific. And the nicer the Damascus steel, the more intensely telling it is. So um, he, he imagined, he said, yeah. If the sword were made out of Damascus steel and you were to pull it out of a sheath or you were to take it from the person, the first thing you would notice is, wow, yeah, the ornate hilt and the beauty of of the handle. But then upon unsheathing it, you would know, oh, whoa, 
we're not dealing with a normal sword here. We're dealing, you know, this is the Iron Age for heaven's sakes, all right? You know, we're not dealing with just a regular bronze sword that's given to an infantryman so he can make sure that the people in the town square are I have behaving a description um, yes. from Gladden Bishop. And oh, here's sweet. where the question is. So, so we do have reason to believe Gladden Bishop. So, for instance... Gladden Bishop, we know, is getting information from Martin Harris because he's actually – Gladden Bishop is publishing things and sometimes he's saying, you can confirm this with Martin Harris, whom we know was a friend of his, was actually a follower of Gladden Bishop's at the time. So if Gladden Bishop was saying Martin Harris can confirm this and Martin Harris knew that these things were not true, then Martin could just say, yeah, that's, that's BS, right? Um, that's exactly what he would have said. That's how Martin would have said. I'm pretty sure he was um, very uh, yeah. vulgar. Yes. No. <laughs> um, uh, um, so, um, but we don't know. So, for instance, uh, Gladden Bishop, Martin Harris is the only person who, in giving the dimensions of the plate, says that the plate stack was four inches high. Everybody else says it was taller than that. And yet, when Gladden Bishop describes the plates, he says they were four inches high. He's getting his information clearly from Martin. Okay. We don't know to what extent he gets his exact description of the sort of Laban from Martin Harris. There's presumably at least there's some overlap, hmm. but it looks to me like he might be embellishing quite a bit because he, Gladden Bishop, is claiming to have seen the sort of Laban himself in vision. Okay, so here's what he says. Um, he says, the blade of the sword is somewhat dagger-shaped, i.e. broad at the hilt, having two sharp edges and terminating in a sharp point. It is about three feet in length and is fine polished steel. The hilt or handle is pure gold and four square, and opposite each square is the most beautiful guard of fine gold also. Each guard is composed of three bars, upon each of which is set a precious stone, making 12 in all, so it's, that would be symbolic significance, like the tribes of Israel, of various li um, lines, I think the word is, and are of the same kind as those precious 12 precious stones set in Aaron's breastplate. Upon the top of the hilt is fixed a gold cross, each end of which is joined to the top of the four guards, respectively. On the lower end of the hilt, the four guards are joined in one piece, upon which is fixed a most beautiful pearl. So for whatever that's worth, that's Gladden Bishop's description of what that's, the sort of Laban's Was he describing that as like basket hilted? That sounds like a, a musketeer swashbuckling sword. So you say we have reason to believe him, though. I'm saying we have reason to believe him to an extent. Like, okay. like, like that he has access to what Martin Harris is saying, but the where he may be embellishing. And this is this is actually the place in his description of the relics where I think he's embellishing the most for whatever that's worth. Okay. Wow. This is incredible. All right. Sick. Well, I was going to name my next son Gladden. Until I found out he embellished stories. And then so, sorry, Glad Bishop, you were about to have a birthright, bro. But now you're forgotten to history. And your son would have been a bishop someday. And so he would have been Bishop Gladden. Yeah, nice. baby, that's awesome. All right, man. Well, guys, this is great. Thanks. Thanks, Don. This has yeah. been amazing. Um, for this and more, please, guys, just check it out on wardradio.com. I'll see if I can't get a couple of links to the primary sources. Are, are those posted online somewhere? That. 
Possibly this that might just be in your online. Book? Should we? Should they get the book? <laughs> the primary sources in the book. Is this that our chance to publish the book? Description is not in the book. Um, okay, don't buy his book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. All yeah. the really good stuff is in the book. Yes. Rock on, rock on. Okay, cool, sweet. Well, you guys, for this and more, please check us out on WordRadio.com. Hey guys, thanks for watching the video. Before you go, I want to put a little bit of a plug in here for my buddy Don Bradley. He's written a book called The Lost 116 Pages. We've talked a lot about it on this show, and you know what? There's plenty of material. We're going to talk more. He's coming back into the studio pretty soon, and we want everybody to be familiar with his book because we're going to talk about a lot of what is inside. So before he comes back and we have this kind of ask me anything about this book, we're going to do a little bit of a book club and have you guys all go buy it all read it as much as you can over the next two or three weeks so that when he's in here and we do this little ask me anything, you guys will have all kinds of questions you can ask him. Now, he's not the best self-promoter out there, but his book is the best book. It is the seminal work of Mormon history in the past decade, and you have to get it. So make sure you guys go buy Don Bradley's book, The Lost 116 Pages, so we can talk about it when he's back in the studio. Other than that, please make sure you like this video. Please make sure you share this video and you subscribe to this channel. For this and more, please make sure you check us out at wardradio.com. Can you feel it? I bring the energy.